Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Elf Gifu. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello, did I get that right? You did get it right. I think I got Perth in Elf. Is it Elf? Elf. Elf. Uh, Yeah. Mm. We're getting there, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, so, hello and welcome to Rex Factor reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England, from Elswith to Prince Philip. Mm -hmm. And today we are doing... Another elf, Gifu. Mm. Who was the first one? The previous one was Elf Gifu of Shaftesbury. Now, this one is just Elf Gifu. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at RexFactorPod, like the RexFactor Podcast Facebook page, and email RexFactorPodcast at hotmail.com. And if you really like what you hear, you can donate to us on a monthly basis, join the Privy Council, and get some bonus content. C'est vous play. Okay. Now, she is born. We don't know when. Yep. Okay. Probably sometime late 930s, early 940s. Mm-hmm. She's the daughter of some chap. <laughs> we presume. <laughs> we presume. <laughs> and a woman called Ethel Gifu. Not, have we done one of those? We've not done an Ethel Gifu before. Right. So again, one of those unusual situations where we know the mother, not the father. Mm. Uh, this is because, as we will see, Ethel Gifu is a woman of high birth. This is rapidly becoming un unusual yes usual how often does it happen for it (laughs) yeah (laughs) just a bit of a pattern yeah sometimes we do and sometimes we don't Mm. um she is the consort of king edwig um sucking meat no that was edred oh for goodness sake that was edwig's uncle right okay edwig well you're gonna find out who you're sometimes written as edwi equally elf gifu you'll sometimes see written as elgiva Right, that's quite a departure. But it's a bit fine. different. Uh, we don't, unfortunately, have any contemporary portraits or descriptions of Elf Gifu, so we are asking you to send in your hashtag consort mm. card. Produce your own uh, card image to replace the absent Heritage Limited playing card version, and at the end of the series, we'll put them all together. We'll have a full pack. Whee! Now, this episode, we're moving on to the next generation now. The last couple of episodes we've done were the wives of King Edmund I. Mm. So we're now moving on to Edmund's son. Right. So we're Mm. a bit younger again. Um, We're going to have a sort of a full biographical episode this time. So we're not going to do any sort of broader themes like we sometimes do, looking Mm -hmm. into broader stuff about Saxon royal women. This Mm -hmm. is all going to be Elfgafu. Right, lucky lady. There's not necessarily loads of information about her, mm-hmm. but there's an awful lot that happens in this period 
that she is part of. Right. So it may actually be a little while before we start talking about Elfgafu herself, but based on what we know about her, there's a very particular point where she enters this historical record, and it's important to understand the context. So I thought it might be helpful to have a little bit of backgroundy stuff in terms yeah, of please. where we are with the Saxons, because mm. we've had quite a lot of consorts recently in quite a short space of time, mm. and we've had with Edgafu was one that ended up being a queen grandmother. Yes. And is in this episode. So some still. of it... Still. She's still kicking around, yeah. Well. So we're kind of going over some ground for a second time as well. So I thought mm. it would be useful to lay out the land and mm. get a real appreciation oh, of where we're on. at. You know what that means. So, Dunstan was born. <laughs> <laughs> so, previously, in terms of monarchs, we've had King Edmund and King Edred. Mm. Both sons of Edward the Elder. Edmund became king when he was 18. Perfect. Initially uh, lost Northumbria and the Midlands, which had recently been won by Athelstan, who'd Uh, effectively created England as a pretty much finished country. Mm. Uh, But Edmund is another successful battle king, and he soon won them back and went on to conquer Strathclyde in southwest Scotland. Now, he was potentially going to become another really great king, but unfortunately Mm. he was still very young when he was killed by a thief at a Uh, banquet. I'm surprised that this thief isn't better known as a murderer. Yes, that's true, yes. The notorious thief who murdered the king. <laughs> yeah. A thief who probably, I don't know, might have pilfered some leather goods. Yes. Uh, and murdered the king. Regicide or straps. Um, his brother, Edred, takes over because Edmund's sons are both very young mm-hmm. when he dies. Um, Edred is the sickly one who um, had to suck all the juices out of his meat yeah. and then spit it out again because he couldn't chew it. But he had some metal on him and indeed he... not literally metal possibly he had some metal to him and was able to defeat the notorious viking eric the blood axe yeah surprising have you ever tried doing that by the way defeating the notorious viking eric the not Bloodaxe. to be advised <laughs> no the whole sucking meat thing um i just i'm going to try it because i can't i can't well, actually i'm not eating meat at the moment but if i were <laughs> make it very difficult <laughs> it would be so unsatisfying wouldn't it you sort of just going and then you're missing the final gulp yeah Oh, it'd be annoying. Now, under both brothers, we see monastic reform as a movement taking over. Big favourite for Ali is a movement to centralise organised religion in England and promote a more proper and monastic lifestyle. More important, though, it goes hand-in-hand with a sort of increased centralisation for the nation, because this is a point at which England properly becomes a fully-fledged nation, monastic reform, church and state working together. Right. Doing everything. And we've got a sort of alliance of people advising the kings who are all part of this monastic reform movement. One of them is the aforementioned Edgafu. She was Edgafu of Kent. Right. She was the last consort of Edward the Elder, mother of Edmund and Edred, and it was as Queen Mother that she has a lot of influence. Mm. Okay, yep, yep. Previous consorts have barely even been mentioned, Mm. um, but as Queen Mother, she's witnessing charters, she's one of the key advisors at court, she's got lots of land, and very powerful, and she's a patron of some of the major monastic reform figures, such as crowd favourite Mr Dunstan. Oh yeah, she liked him, didn't she? She liked Dunstan. He's a leading figure in the reform movement and a key advisor at court, ally of Edgafu, and they are joined by a key figure in the nobles of the nobles. Oh, don't tell me. Brithnoth. Not yet. He oh. is going to make an appearance in this episode. It's a chap that actually we've not really, I don't think, focused on much in the podcast. Athelstan Half-King. Oh, yes. Yep. Now, he was, perhaps a little confusingly, made an earldoman by... 
King Athelstan, mm. full king, <laughs> yeah. in the year 932 in East Anglia, he seems to have effectively ruled the old Dane law, which is mm. what the, Vi- the bit the Vikings had of sort of the east and then going up to the north. Mm. So a huge swathe of territory that's only recently really become Saxon from the Vikings. That's quite a... Uh, not only is he incredibly powerful, but it's quite a statement for, hi- for him to give it away. Straight away, or not give it away, but allow someone else to govern it. I guess it's. I guess it's one of those where it's such a, an unruly, potentially unruly territory. But there's other stuff the kings have got to be doing that you need someone very capable to just do that. Focus on that, mm. whilst you can focus mm. on other stuff. He obviously does it very well, though, because it is kept entirely subdued. We don't have rebellions or them joining in with other mm. Viking campaigns, and this is why he's known as half king because he's effectively ruling territory the size of Normandy. Oh, nothing to do with the fact that he's also... Called Athelstan. Called Athelstan. No. Um, although, because there are a few Athelstans, they do have to give them nicknames just mm. to differentiate. But yes, very, very powerful. And also, because Edmund became king very young, and Edred was quite sickly, mm. he's in some ways effectively a pseudo-regent at times. Mm. He's got this huge territory, he's a key advisor, senior figure, mm. and he is a big supporter of monastic reform. So he's mates with Dunstan, he's mates with Edgarfu. Yeah, he's a big fish. He's a big fish. And that's why we've got this slightly weird stable instability. What? So from 939 to 955, England had lost three kings in the space of 16 years. Mm. But the advisors at the top, Edgar Fu, Dunstan, mm. Athelstan Half-King, the Queen Mother, clergy, the nobles, mm. they're all there. They're constants throughout. So in a way, the governance of the kingdom continues... Mm. even though the kings keep dying. So we've had a lot of stability despite the loss of the kings, and it's the period of real growth and success for the Saxons. That's Yeah, that's very true. That's as, I mean, that's a testament to the, the system, isn't it, now? Mm. And I suppose to the... Uh, and I suppose to the Dunstan, but <laughs> mostly um, um, Elskafu. It's almost a little bit like um, there was the period when Chelsea were very successful, but they used to sack their manager sort of every nine months, but they had the same sort of core players that Mm. seemed to be able to just do it regardless of who was actually there. Makes you wonder of the relevance of a football manager Mm. or a king. Mm. Mm. Well, as we'll see, the king can have quite an influence because when the throne passes to Edwig in 955, the stability is rocked. Mm Mm-mm. So he's the eldest son of Edmund I, becomes king in 955, 15 years old, and it's a new generation at the helm once again. Oh, they're at their most annoying, aren't they? Mm. And he's got a younger brother who's 12 years old, or maybe 13, called Edgar. Oh, yeah. No, this chap. Now, they are not brought up together, but uh, they're fostered at different households, and Edgar is fostered in the household of Athelstan Halfking. Right. One of the main advisors, one of the biggies for monastic reform. He's close to one of his sons, and he also, of course, falls under the influence of Dunstan, who's mates with Athelstan Halfking. Right. Now, the Saxons, as we established in some of the previous episodes, don't have a strict system of primogeniture. Mm. So technically, when one king dies, the Wheatan, it's sort of parliament, elects the next king. So it's not just from anybody. It's meant to be what's known as an etheling, which is effectively the son of a king. So a proper royal prince. Mm. So in theory, they don't have to go with the older brother. They could actually say, well, we think Edgar might be better. As long as they are an etheling. Yeah. Now, obviously, they don't do that. Edwig does become king. But there does seem to be 
an early suggestion that the likes of Dunstan, Edgar Fu and Athelstan Halfking see Edgar mm. as the one that they've brought up as the future of the monastic reform kingship. Mm. Edwig, growing up separately, mm. doesn't seem to identify with them. I'm, I'm team Edwig. You with Edwig? Mm. Mm. Well, which, he's, which one is he again? He's the one that's not on Dunstan's team. Yeah, mm. he's not, but he's not the sucky meat man. He's not sucky meat man. We're going to find out okay. what uh, what he is, because at his coronation banquet. Oh yes, here we go. <laughs> Getting it ready. Um, apparently, he was missing from the feast. Oh, fingers quivering. So Dunstan was sent to find him, mm. and he came across him in his bedchamber with cavorting hey. with a young woman. Yeah, and her mother. Lovely. We're back. Okay, jolly good. So presumably Dunstan mm. said, oh, King, you cheeky chappy, come back when you're ready. Dunstan has a jolly good shout at Edwig, says this isn't on, and he drags him back to the feast. And at that point, history remembers Dunstan <laughs> as a rotten egg. The fun sponge. Mm. Fair to say Edwig is not chuffed no. about this turn of events. Consequently... Kingdom falls into division. Dunstan is forced from court, forced into exile mm. in Ghent. That's nice. Nice yeah. worst place to be. Mm. Uh, his kinsman, uh, Kinesiege, who's the Bishop of Lichfield, um, and another ally, is rarely at court mm. after this. Edgarfu has her lands confiscated. Mm. That's his mum, isn't it? Uh, well, grandmother. Grandmother, now, yeah. Edwig's grandmother. Which, again, I suppose, is that slightly more distant relationship, perhaps, mm. particularly if he's not been... Yeah been with her and we also see edwig appoint new younger earldoman mm. so we have a chap athelstan rota in southeast mercia uh, soon after he becomes king a chap called elf here in central mercia in 956 and as you mentioned earlier britnoth mm. becomes the earldoman of essex um quick thing about dunstan yes what was he playing at i mean what what could he have hoped to what was the outcome of that he's going to make an enemy of the king well he's going to discipline him who does he think he is <laughs> well he's been running the country for the last 15 years effectively hasn't he hopeless mm. um, but the significance of all these new earldomen of course is that that is challenging the hegemony of mm. Athelstan half king and indeed he actually leaves court at this time and retires to become a monk at Glastonbury wise now we've still got sons around who are still trying to play the political game but nevertheless we've suddenly seen that leadership group for the last yeah. few reigns Edwig's like nope decimated get rid of you lot mm. now the young woman with whom he was cavorting mm. was Elfgifu oh oh so he went through with it well yeah so as well as making moves against his enemies he's making moves on Elfgifu and indeed he gets married mm. now it might seem a, like he's perhaps a little bit unstable a little bit too much just a teenage boy with power going to his head that he's yeah. just marrying some woman that he was cavorting with. Mm. But actually, if we look at her genealogy, mm. then we can see there's a bit more going on mm. than just a, a fancy, pretty young woman. As we said, we don't know who her father was, but her mother, Ethel Gifu, seems to have been of very notable stock. Now, there are a couple of theories as to her exact line of descent. One is that she might be descended from Mercian royals, mm. and she may even have been a niece of Alfred's consort, Elswith. Oh, right. But the one that's perhaps more favoured, Elfgifu's brother is a chronicler called Ethelviard. Mm. 
and he claimed descent from King Ethelred I of Wessex. This was the older brother of Alfred the Great. Oh. Now, Ethelred had a couple of sons, one of whom, Ethelwald, was the one that had that rebellion against Edward the Elder. Okay. He was the one that got the Vikings on his side. and was Oh, silly. Doing yeah. All, yeah, all that sort of stuff. It's possible, then, that Elfgavu, via her mother, is actually of royal Wessex stock. Mm. So she's not just some pretty thing that he's encountered and had a bit of fun with. Mm. She is actually of major dynastic significance. Right. Okay, so even more. What the hell was Dunstan up to? Yes, well, perhaps what he's up to is that if Edwig isn't really a fan of Dunstan and all of that sort of thing, and here he is marrying someone that gives him potentially a huge amount of power and influence mm. within the kingdom, oh. Dunstan's like, oh, no, we don't want this sort of business going on. And so it was her mum. And Yes, and her mum. Mm. So it's actually a strategic marriage. Yeah. It's not just something that's done with a bit of, you know, sort of blood going to his head. And it's notable the fact that Ethel Gifu, the mother, is mentioned in the sources, and she is mentioned... Um, Which is integral to the plot here, isn't Well, she? indeed, but she's mentioned by her enemies, by the likes of Dunstan, oh. his biographers. They're mentioning her, mm. perhaps because she is of... That's indicative of the fact that she is seen as significant. She is seen as a threat. Hence why we know her mother. Cause Not, yeah. Father doesn't matter, but yeah. the mother... Mm. Mm. Wow. Probably the mother does have a prime role in setting the two of them up, whether it was quite as direct as <laughs> implied. <laughs> now, unfortunately, we still don't have very much recorded about Elfgifu as consort. Right. However, she does seem to have witnessed charters and been prominent at court, hmm. which, which is in contrast to most of her predecessors. Yeah, apart from Grandma. So we can see, therefore, that Edwig is making some successful moves against his enemies. Yeah, and not rash ones. And not so rash, although apparently he is giving out a lot of land to mm. his new supporters. So in terms of royal wealth mm. and whatnot, he is spending yeah. quite heavily to win favours. But it's not entirely successful for him. In 957, Edgar is elected king in Mercia. Oh, what? They're just so the the we I know we talked about this last time, but was that that is like a declaration of civil war, isn't it? Well, in effect, and Northumbria follows after. Going solo? Going to, no, going to Edgar rather oh, than right. to Edwig. Mm. So they're not declaring independence and breaking up the English kingdom, but they're saying we're going with this chap as king rather than, rather than Edwig. So they still, want, they still want England to be an entity, but mm. they just want a different king. Yeah. They're not saying we want it this half. Yeah, exactly. And thus, the kingdom does seem to have been pretty much divided at the Thames. It's almost like the old Danelaw mm. division again. So, Edwig has lost half of his kingdom to his brother. Yikes. And unfortunately for him, a lot of his new earldmen pop off and go and serve Edgar. Why? Probably because a lot of their lands are based in Edgar's territory rather than Edwig's. And thus, it's a bit of a pragmatic decision. Oh, yeah. And things that take uh, a very bad turn for Edwig and particularly Elf Gifu, because in 958, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Oda, mm. who is a close ally of Dunstan, has the marriage annulled what? on the grounds of consanguinity, meaning Why? they're too closely related by blood. Because of the whole Alfred thing? Because of, yes, that whole Wessex line. Um, or indeed, I think the Mercian one, there probably is a 
a relationship in there. Now, I, th- I think it's something like nine degrees of separation, so they'd be like third cousins once removed. That's pretty... That's pretty removed. Yeah, so Edward the Elder and his first consort, Elfled, were potentially cousins. Yeah. And we see actually quite a few cousiny marriages. Well, right up until nearly the present yeah. generation, yeah. So that's indicative of the fact that this is not a strong religious moral decision, but rather it's a political Definitely. one to break up a powerful mm-hmm. marriage partnership between Edwig and Elfgifu, particularly given that it's three years after <laughs> they actually got married. So does anyone um, give this any credence? Do they listen to him? Well, he's the Archbishop of Canterbury, so it's that's that's, that's it. It's official. Right. So what and that's quite a major blow for the mm. king against his will to have his marriage annulled. Yes, I'm. I can see a, a Henry VIII situation unfolding here, but then you've got Edgar up there, presumably pro the divorce. Well, indeed, that. and one assumes that Edgar Dunstan, Edgar Fu, mm. they're all conspiring here. Mm. I don't like it. Mm. Now, after this, mm. there is some very sad news reported to us by Charles Dickens. Wow, he's older than I thought. (laughs) Dunstan caused the beautiful Queen Elgiva, though a lovely girl of only 17 or 18, to be stolen from one of the royal palaces, branded in the cheek with a red-hot iron, and sold into slavery in Ireland. But the Irish people pitied and befriended her, and they said... Let us, restore, let us restore the girl queen to the boy king and make the young lovers happy. And they cured her of her cruel wound and sent her home as beautiful as before. But the villain Dunstan and that other villain Odo caused her to be waylaid at Gloucester as she was joyfully hurrying to join her husband and to be hacked and hewn with swords and to be barbarously maimed and lamed and left to die. Is this true? Well, I believe that's, uh, that is as reported in the Con Ickledon book that you, uh, that you read for the Privy Councillors. I think Donston arranges her termination. Goodness. And they, are they meant to be the uh, holy people? <laughs> Alert the church elders. Aren't they are the church elders. <laughs> yes, corruption. It's rotten to the core. And poor old Edwig in 959 uh, dies in unknown circumstances. Oh. Aged only 19. Dickens suggests it's of a broken heart. Mm. Edgar, of course, is thus then able to take the whole kingdom and unite it all again, which is quite convenient that his brother died so young. Now, there's a bit of a problem with that story. It is reported by medieval chroniclers, A, that she is sent off into exile, and B, that she is ambushed and killed. Mm. The problem is that uh, she's actually alive in the 960s. Um, what now? And survives Edwig. What? So reports of her death were, in fact, premature. <laughs> Exaggerated. Indeed. Edwig dies in 959, but Elfgifu is still alive. She may, in fairness, she may have been exiled mm. uh, in the nine late 950s after the marriage was annulled, mm. particularly if things are going a bit south for Edwig at this point, but he the has lost control. burning cheek thing? Uh, there's no particular reason to assume that that would have happened. But perhaps in the 960s with Edgar King, whereas before her highborn status made her a threat... Mm. It may actually have been something of a safety net for her once Edwig was dead, because then Edgar feels like he probably needs to treat her properly because she's 
you know, royal born. They are kin mm. of and sort. She doesn't have any children. Doesn't have any children, and brother's out of the way, so she's not really a threat. God, that'd be difficult though, making peace out that after that. Well, he uh, grants her land and a couple of charters. Oh, lucky lady. What do you give the woman who has everything? He describes her as a certain noble matron who is connected to me by the relationship of worldly blood. Mm, what a politician. <laughs> i.e. I slaughtered her husband. And uh, after Edgar's marriage in 965, uh, he decided to re uh, to rationalise all of the land holdings of the various female royals because he's got his wife, Queen Grandmother Edgarfu is still around. Mm. And of course there's this woman, Elskafu, and so in 966, he has this grand ceremony for dynastic unity where there's the refoundation of Newminster uh, in Winchester. And so his wife is there, Edgarfu, the Queen Grandmother, is there, and so is Elskafu. So they're all there together witnessing this charter at this grand ceremony. He's sorting out all everybody's land, making sure it's all clear and sorted out. But by she sorted is, out, do we mean he's taking it all away? No, no, he's just sort of, mm. you know, rationalising. Mm. Uh, but as such, we've got Elfgafu effectively brought back into the fold to a certain extent. Wow. After being sold as a slave. And murdered. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Things improved dramatically they after really that. Do. They really do. Um, after this uh, appearance in 966, we don't have any further record of her. She may have retired to a religious house or indeed to her extensive estates because she, like we had last time with Ethelfled of Damerham, she leaves a will. And she has got, again, loads and loads of territory all across the country. Very rich and wealthy woman, mm. uh, which we assume is separate to the territory that she might have had because of being consort, because that all goes back to Edwick, uh, mm. to Edgar. Mm. Um, but uh, she does request that she be buried alongside Edwig at Newminster in Aww. Manchester. Nice. But Elfgifu has finally died, mm. not at the hands of Dunstan and mm. the Archbishop of Canterbury. I don't know. I'm still <laughs> hanging over still her, that one. But she dies a wealthy woman, but she doesn't die as consort. Uh, oh, yeah. Marriage being annulled. Oh, yeah. God, that's weird, isn't it? There's not many of those, I imagine. No, indeed. So, that is it for her life and consortship. Now let's see how she does when we review her. Battleliness! So, it's one of these funny ones, again, where in terms of direct evidence, there's not lots, but mm. we can sort of infer a certain amount of goings-on. Mm. Uh, as we said, the marriage is clearly a strategic alliance in Edwig's bid to see off Edgar mm. Dunstan. Edgifu, etc. Ethel Gifu, the mother, probably the prominent mover yeah. in the relationship, but it's likely Eth Elf Gifu herself got involved in some of the shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, as ever, women not strongly recorded in the sources, but the sort of prevalence of notable women in this situation suggests they must have been getting involved. So we've got Elf Gifu married to Edwig and witnessing charters. Uh, her mother, Ethel Gifu, also seems to have been mm. there as well, possibly witnessing charters. So she's still at court and an advisor. But we've also got two of the new earldermen that have been promoted by Edwig married to notable women. As we mentioned last time, Edwig's stepmother, Ethelfled of Dameron, mm. is married to Athelstan Rota. Mm. And her sister, called Elfled, is married to Britnoth. Mm. So we've got the former Queen Dowager mm. married to one of Edwig's new men got her sister married to Britnoth, another one mm. we've got 
Elfgafu herself, her mother at court. So we've got all these powerful women. Yeah. It's weird that... that so it seemed like uh, Edgar was had a very experienced safety net of mm. advisors. Yeah. And this chap had... He, he had the perfect plan, but just didn't have that same retinue of people behind him. Mm. Uh, they, but what he did have were these strong female characters. And it's interesting that because both, um, we recall last time, Ethelthred of Damarum and her sister Elfled were the heiresses of, of their yeah. powerful father. So in a way, they're bringing a lot of the power in the lands mm. to the people that are being married. So they're quite a key part of that. Yeah in terms of making them worthy almost of this new status as Elderman. But because they're women, they don't have the status, uh, you know, they're not going to, you're not going to have the Archbishop in your corner. No, particularly, Mm. (laughs) particularly Dunstan and uh, Oda, of course. Oh, they're horrible lot, aren't they? But nevertheless, we've got these women in these powerful positions at Edwig's court. Mm. So it's, I'm sure that they will be involved. We just don't have the details of it. Definitely. Now, of course, the other powerful woman in all of this is, the grandmother, Edgifu of Kent. Yeah. And she had completely overshadowed both of Edmund I's wives. Mm. So while Edgifu was witnessing charters right at the top of the list, Elfgifu of Shaftesbury only witnesses one. Yeah. Ethelfled of Dameron probably doesn't witness any. But in contrast, Elfgifu, with her royal descent mm. in the Wessex line, mm. is actually of status that she could challenge Edgifu's dominance at court. Mm. And it does kind of seem like, even if they've accepted that we can have a powerful woman, we can have a powerful woman. We're not going to have two of them. Yeah. So that's perhaps why Edwig confiscates her lands, because he's like, well, my wife is now queen, therefore Uh, she gets the royal lands. So we've got so far, but not any further. Indeed, but as such, that adds a little bit more spice to, it's not just... Edwig against Edgar is not just Dunstan against mm. the mother. We've also got Edgifu and Elfgifu. Yeah. Both vying for this dominant role of the consort as the leading woman of yeah. the realm, in effect. Edgifu was that even when Edmund had his own consorts. It was still Edgifu. This poor woman never stood a chance against uh, Turbo Granny. Well, yeah, exactly. She's quite a formidable uh, opponent. But there's even some backstory to this rivalry, mm. which does go back to the genealogy. Elfgifu's Wessex descent, as you said, is from one of Ethelred's sons, and they were the rivals to Alfred and particularly Edward the Elder. So in 902, at the Battle of the Holm, Edgifu's father was killed fighting against Ethelwald. So if Elfgifu is potentially descended either from Ethelwald or his brother, mm. that means that Edgifu's father was on one side, Elfgifu's forebears were on the other side. And also, interestingly, um, there was a royal Mercian man that was killed fighting alongside Ethelwald in this mm. battle, a chap called um, Bertzig. And it's suggested perhaps Britnoth might have been descended from this chap. Ah. So again, we've got Britnoth and Elfgifu descended from Ethelwald and his Mercian mate. Yeah. Edgifu's father killed fighting against them. Right. There's so much to this Saxon period. Is mm. there not just random farmers who have a bit of armour and yeah. fight people off. There's a whole dynasty, there's a whole soap opera behind them. Yeah, and it's like, we've obviously we did our, a few weeks ago our special episode on Game of Thrones. It's just like that. And it's like you think that all the events that come to be important, you come to learn about what happened kind of 30 years before the show starts. Mm. 
and this is kind of that scenario yeah. there's all this stuff that happened before the previous generation yeah exactly they're not just decisions that are made in the light of stuff that happened in the previous five minutes yeah they've, we've got old schools everyone's got history previous yeah. generation hmm and initially, Elfgafu does unseat Edgafu. Edgafu has her lands taken away. Elfgafu is the one at court. Mm. She's witnessing charters. And her will indicates she was a very wealthy woman with lots of uh, lands and jewels and servants and all sorts of things. Sounds like jealousy. The downside in terms of battliness is that ultimately she does lose in this encounter. Yes. The marriage was annulled in 958. Edwig died in 959. And all of Edgafu's lands were restored by Edgar. Yeah, but she dies in the same role that she started in yes and she probably because she still has enough land to leave in her will so it's probable that she's got a lot of land and territory prior to her marriage mm. so she may have lost the royal lands back yes. to Edgafu but yeah. she still had her own land so she's not too bad and of course Edgar gives her a couple of charters to mm. you know make Bung her a bit farm sweeter. here and there but the other thing is the lack of actual direct evidence. We don't know what role, if Elf, if any, Elfgafu actually had herself. Her mother was very prominent. Perhaps mm. she's the one that's really doing stuff. Elfgafu might just be a puppet. And she did get exiled to Ireland. And killed mm. before she came back and witnessed Died the charters. Another Game of Thrones there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's like she definitely knew the answer to the, um, uh, what would it be, the... £500,000 question on uh, who wants to be a millionaire. She threw the <laughs> dice, said, I'm going to play it, but she's safe on that half a million. Uh, but that's still good. You know, you'd come away thinking, I, you know, that's not too shabby a weekend's work. Although equally, if you do go on who wants to be a millionaire, I think you should be aware that I think 32000 is the last lifeline. Is it really? Yeah. So if you get the half a million question wrong, you still got £32,000, but... Which was a lot in those days. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, I reckon... This is a win-win. Yeah. First it's... question, I'm basically the richest woman <laughs> in the country. Yeah, but you're not going to get it right, are you? <laughs> which person... Oh, I can't think of a £100 question. I was going to say, which person is Anton Deck? <laughs> I mean, that's quite a difficult one to uh, illustrate. Uh... Well, the first in the UK, the first million-pound question was... Um, Oh, Eleanor Aquitaine, wasn't it? So a score for Valley. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> £32,000, please. <laughs> uh, two or three. Yeah. Oh, two and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go with a two. It's one of those where there's enough to give her a bit of credit, mm. but not enough to really... I don't like the half points. I'm going to go two as well. You're going to be firm. Yeah. Make your mind up. Yeah, two. So that's a four for Battleyness. Scandal. Well, <laughs> we've not really had any scandal no. in the series so far, but I think it's fair to say we are getting some in this episode. Oh, yeah. As you said, it's that coronation banquet. It's one of the most notable moments in Rex Factor scandal history. Yes. Uh, one part of the menage a trois at Edwick's coronation banquet, and there are various accounts of what transpired. I thought it might be... This is the time, G-Man. Might be worth going through yeah. several of them. Biography of Dunstan. Who wrote this? Uh, Dunstan? One of his acolytes. Mm. A certain woman, foolish, though she was of noble birth, with her daughter, a girl of ripe age, attached herself to him, pursuing him and wickedly enticing him to intimacy. 
obviously in order to join and ally herself or else her daughter to him in lawful marriage. Right. Another account. This is now where they're trying to find what Egwick's mm. up to. They found the royal crown, which was bound with wondrous metal, gold and silver and gems, and shone with many-coloured luster, carelessly thrown on the floor, far from his head. And he himself repeatedly wallowing between the two of them in evil fashion, as if in a vile sty. <laughs> oh, he just can't believe his luck. He's trying to yeah, make this as unpornographic as possible. <laughs> they said, Our noble sent us to you to ask you to come as quickly as possible to your proper seat and not to scorn to be present at the joyful banquet of your chief men. Mm. But when he did not wish to rise, <laughs> Dunstan, after first rebuking the folly of the women, or in Dunstan's case, you imagine just the folly of women, yeah. uh, drew him by the hand from his licentious reclining by the women, replaced the crown, and brought him with him to the royal assembly, though dragged from the women by force. I just, I can't write, I still can't get to the bottom of this. I know there's not an answer, but why does Dunstan feel he can drag him out rather than the king feel like he can slap Dunstan or something? Well, I guess the king's still only 15. He's still seen as just mm. a boy. Oh, it's, I'm annoyed for him. Mm. And William of Malmesbury. Oh, yeah. On the very day he had been consecrated king, in full assembly of the nobility, when deliberating on affairs of importance and essential to the state, he burst suddenly from amongst them, darted wantonly into his chamber, and rioted in the embraces of the harlot. <laughs> All were indignant of the shameless deed and murmured among themselves. Dunstan alone, with that firmness which his name implies, regardless of royal indignation, violently dragged the lascivious boy from the chamber, and on the archbishops compelling him to repudiate the strumpet, made him his enemy forever. <laughs> Quite right. See, they're being very rude about this um, royal lady, mm. and quite nice about this king who they saw off. Now, Dickens has got a theory in terms of what Dunstan was up to here. What the Dickens? Some think Dunstan did this because the young king's fair wife was his own cousin, and the monks objected to people marrying their own cousins. This sort of, wasn't he? But I believe he did it because he was an imperious, audacious, ill-conditioned priest who, having loved a young lady himself before he became a sour monk, hated all love now and everything belonging to it. Ah, uh, Dickens, come back. All is forgiven. <laughs> G-Man and I uh, should have a little chip on our shoulder about Dickens, who once described our yes. glorious <laughs> town, Chelmsford, as the stupidest spot on the planet. Hmm. Uh, but I take it all back, Dickens. Mm. You are not half bad. He knows the character, doesn't he? He's good at those. <laughs> Indeed. Mm. He could imagine uh, Dunstan as a Dickensian. Very easily, <laughs> yeah. So that's quite a... Uh, I mean, it's the same incident, obviously, but nevertheless, that's quite a moment of scandal. I, it's quite a moment of individual... There's, You know how normally there's a lot of different types of scandal? Yeah. So, well, with the king, certainly. Yeah, yeah. And this one is just really massive in 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 Rex Factor folklore, isn't it? Yeah. 
Have we got any saintly stuff? Well, here's the other side of mm. the story. History, of course, is written by the winners. Mm. And as we've seen, the winners in this case are Dunstan. And He's Co. a loser. So the main sources are generally formed biographies of figures like Dunstan and Oda with a clear desire to blacken Edwig's name and to justify their actions. Mm. Now, some of the legends actually just have Elfgifu as a random woman here. So they almost say, oh, he's already married, but he's cavorting with mm. somebody else. Most, though, do identify her and indeed her mother, Ethelgifu. Mm. So this indicates that they are seen as threats, as we said. So it's likely due to their heritage because they've got this royal mm. blood and all mm. of this sort of stuff. So they don't just want to say, look at what an appropriate King Edwig is. Mm. They also want to undermine the character of the mother and the daughter. Yes. So perhaps I see. this yeah. is actually propaganda. So we saw with Edgifu of Kent and Elfgifu of Shaftesbury how religious biographies were often hagiographies. Mm. So it's almost trope characters and actions which mm. are designed to show you how saintly Dunstan is. Mm. Mm. And in their cases, they effectively played the role of the good woman who assists the saint on his road to yeah. glory and righteousness. In this episode, we have Jezebel's. Right. Against whom mm. the saintly heroes must battle. So indeed, uh, Adelard, uh, who's one of the people that writes the life of Dunstan, he's wrote, This tortuous snake entered the palace of King Edwig, where, through another Jezebel, and through courtiers whose hearts he knew with serpentine words, he roused the king to eliminate that column of light, by which he means Dunstan. So he's saying the devil into the king? Well, yes, but the devil via these Jezebels. They're, but they're they're important ladies you know it's this old trope women given undue power are thus represented as sexual seductresses and I, agents of men's downfall I, I'm indignant Graham I'd like to put a bookmark here mm. say I'm marking my indignant my indignant bookmark <laughs> yeah. goes here mm. so yeah so we've got the uh, these powerful seductresses the agents of man's downfall mm. battling against the forces of righteousness i.e. Dunstan it's the classic Adam and Eve business exactly any number of stories throughout history where mm. you can basically just switch the names up a bit and it's pretty much the same mm. thing mm. So, in reality, perhaps, this is just a dynastic conflict where Dunstan's party were cast out, needed to break up Edwig's powerful marriage, recover their position, and then justify in history, blacken the name of the king, blacken the name of his wife, recast all of that sort of thing of Ethel Gifu advising, ma matchmaking, turn it into a smutty scene where she's actually in bed with the king and her daughter, and suddenly you've got a very darker but perhaps not entirely realistic portrait of what happened. But we've got to assume that some of that happened, haven't we? Well, so Frank Stenton, a sort of noted uh, Anglo-Saxon historian from decades ago, said that all that can be safely inferred from the story is the high probability that Dunstan was exiled because he had affronted the king, the woman who became the king's wife, and her mother. Okay, so all of the stuff that's written about the romping in the bed is after... After, after his dead, yeah. yeah. Well, so it's one of those funny things. The thing is, we'll see this a lot, and this is something that we talked about early on mm. in the series. And actually, we talked to Dr. Emma Southern about. We mm. asked her about this and we interviewed her, and she said that she thinks we should just go for it. Obviously, talk about the why people are writing these sorts of rumours and how they might not be true and what the motivation is. But equally, she likes this sort of stuff because it indicates that powerful women were upsetting. Yeah, it shows they're doing the men. something right. Shows that they're doing mm. something because they are. 
mm. inciting these <laughs> lurid tales. Yeah. So it is a story of scandal. It is certainly that, and we can mark that as a story of scandal that is associated with her reign. Her reign? Consortship. Consortship. It's Rex Factor Legend. I'm going a big fat ten. Woof! It's Rex Factor Legend. <laughs> That's very high. I'm uh, I'm going to be a little more conservative. <laughs> um, I'm going a seven. Okay. Because I think it's good scandal. It's a good scandalous moment. Hmm. Um, I'm going to temper it slightly with the knowledge that you know it's propaganda from Dunstan and all of his acolytes and also that it's it is ultimately the queen in bed with the king oh don't say it like that yeah that's true and her mother and he's meant to be at his banquet and instead the crown is laid aside and he's with the woman in a way it's almost more scandalous for Edwig than for her perhaps because mm. he's mm. you know neglecting his responsibilities I suppose she's not quite so much in that scenario She's just, at the time, to, if that's what the king wishes, yeah. you know. Uh, no, I like. I think we've got to put... We're making our own little marker on history here. We're saying this is... This, this is fabulous. This is where my scandal, scandal mark will go. Yeah, exactly. This, I think it was the first bit of scandal I got truly excited about. Yeah. All right. I'm sticking with it. So that's a 10 from Ali, a 7 for me. That's 17 for Scandal. By far the best score so far. We're going to get emails. Hmm. Subjectivity. So on the good side, mm. um, though not mentioned by Dunstan's biographers, what surviving evidence there is does suggest that she was a respected figure um, in her time as consort. Now, another one of the notable monastic reformers, and one that we did actually mention when we did Edgar Fu's episode, was a chap called Ethelwald. Yeah. Not the one that rebelled, but oh. the chap who happens to be called Ethelwald. Right. And unlike Dunstan, unlike Edgar Fu, he continues to serve at the royal court under Edwig. Right. So it's not that everybody who was powerful gets kicked out. It's not that everybody who was pro-monastic reform gets kicked out. This chap, Ethelwald, is still there, is still serving. And indeed, Elfgafu witnesses a charter as the king's wife for his monastery, Abingdon. Right. And she made a number of bequests to him and his religious foundations uh, in her will, which suggests that they have quite a positive relationship, and thus that leading churchmen were willing to come to court and to interact with her and her mother. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> we didn't cover that. Indeed. And uh, the new minster in Winchester, the Liber Vitae there, describes her as among the illustrious women choosing this holy place for the love of God who have commended themselves to the prayers of the community by gift of arms. Good. Now, technically, that's effectively saying she's given us money so that she can be buried here. Yeah. She's given us money so that we can try really hard to make sure she goes to heaven. Yeah. But at the same time, if she was such an awful, scandalous harlot... Mm-hmm. Would we be seeing these prominent bishops, you know... Depends how much money she gave. ...linked to her? Well, but, you know, still they might have thought, oh, no, we can't be associated with her. Get rid mm-hmm. of her. And Edward, Edgar is willing to bring her back into the fold once he's yeah. king and his brother's dead. So that suggests yeah. that she's not such a terrible person. No. True. But what it doesn't suggest is that there's positive examples of good things that she did. No, it's like that last one we did where it was just giving stuff away in her will. Yeah. Ultimately, we don't really have any evidence of something that she did in her time as consort that was notable or good. 
can't give any points for that, can we? No, as Pauline uh, Stafford, the historian, said, the problems in the reconstruction of her biography are a warning of how far the winners of Edgar's reign rewrote the history of the mid-10th century and of how much of its politics, particularly its family politics, are lost. Mm. So, as we said earlier, we're pretty sure that there's stuff that we're missing here. There must have been stuff she was doing, but they've got no interest in recording that and yeah. saving it for posterity. Yeah, because yeah. it doesn't fit the narrative. Exactly. So Edgar's mother, Elf Gafu Shaftesbury, is turned into a dynastic saint, whereas this week's Elf Gafu becomes the dynastic sinner. Mm. So from our perspective, we've zero. not really got anything to go on, I fear. Really, it does have to be a zero. Longevity. So, she is consort from the 23rd of November, 955. Well, that's when Edwig becomes king. We, again, we assume that that was roughly when she yeah. married him. Yeah. To some point in 958 when the marriage is annulled. Right. So, how, what difference is there between the annulment and the death? Uh, a year-ish. Mm, not a broken heart, is it? It's a punctured heart with arrow. If we call that around three years, mm. might be less. We call it a straight three years. That's four and a half out of twenty, mm. which is joint forty-fifth. Mm. Not not good. No, but as a positive for somebody else, because I slightly lowered her score because I changed it from when Edwig died to when the marriage annulled. Mm. Ethelfled of Damerum's uh, longevity score has actually gone up to three, hey. two and a half. Oh, totally good. So every swings and roundabouts. Yeah, dynasty. Not the program. Zero children, sadly. Yep, that's a big fan. Zero. Indeed, joint 40th again. Mm. So, add all that together, she gets a total score of 25.5. Which is not the lowest. It's not the lowest. She's outscored both of Edmund's wives. Outscored the saint, her namesake. Oh, yeah. But... It's not all about the schools, Ali. No, certainly not. We have to decide, does she have that certain something, that lasting legacy, that great achievement and star quality that we call... Rex Factor! She has a great achievement. Well, I mean, she's a lasting legacy for Rex mm. Factor folklore, certainly. One of the best bits of Rex Factor scandal. Mm -hmm. And temporarily unseated the indomitable Edgar Fu grandmother. And Dunstan. And Dunstan. That's good, isn't it, actually? But, on the downside... Mm. Scandal's almost certainly made up. Mm -hmm. Ed Cavu won the end. Mm. Dunstan won at the end. Mm. We don't actually have very much evidence of anything she did at all. No. Yeah. When you put it like that, right? <laughs> yeah, couldn't I? Didn't I? Mean I knew the uh, facts surrounding her, but I don't know anything about her. Yeah, and you can again for anyone who's thinking of some historical fiction, mm. it's another great story to tell because she's there. And we know that she must have been yeah, you could, in the mix. There's a there's a figure on the canvas that isn't coloured in. You exactly. Can do it over. Uh, well, it's definitely no, isn't it? But for us, it has to be a no. We need to have a little bit of mm. uh, at least crayon that's been <laughs> sketched over. See? She, um, oh, sorry. To me, to you. Um, I. It's like if she were a king, mm. she appeared on the scene for maybe, f well, what was it, three years, mm. only notable achievement would have been to get naked in public, dance around, and leave. <laughs> you know, just just that one moment. I don't know why I'm having to equate it to a man getting naked, but... No. Well, it was on your mind. Yeah. <laughs> Say what you see. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, oh, time to put my pants back on. Correspondence Corner. 
So it was a no from us, but if you disagree, then you can get in touch with us. As we said at the start, on Twitter and Instagram, we are at RexFactorPod. Like us and join in the discussions on the RexFactor Podcast Facebook page. Email RexFactorPodcast.hotmail.com and go to RexFactor.wordpress.com to read the blogs and complete the polls. And, of course, send in your hashtag consult cards for an image of Elfgafu. Sit, vous but, play. Uh, keep it, uh, <laughs> keep it PG. <laughs> well, I mean, you know... <laughs> you can send us two. Yes, I suppose. That's what, that's what uh, Edred said. Hey. hey. Edwig. Oh. But otherwise... Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you use. And yes, please. Subscribe. And you can, of course, donate monthly to join the Privy Council and get some bonus content. Keep us ad-free! Ad-free, keeping us podcasting. Everybody gets uh, access to the Privy Chamber podcast that we record after each of these yeah. main episodes. And depending on the level you donate at, you may also get access to special episode mugs, T-shirts, yeah. etc. Oh, there we go. And we've got some new Privy Councillors to welcome. Hello. Chloe Millard, Catherine McGrath, Gracie Christie, B. Day J, and Cameron Harris. Hello, Arise. Welcome. Some Privy Councillors who mm. have joined the fold previously. Yes. Marcus Royce Fulton. Oh, yeah. Hello from California. Hello, hello. I first discovered the podcast right about the time you were recording the Victoria episodes and have been a fan ever since. My question is, if you had to build the perfect monarch using a composite of factors from various monarchs, who would you choose? Or rather, whose would you choose? For example, the battleness of Henry II combined mm. with the scandal of Charles II. Mm. Mm. I'd have to have the battleness of uh, Henry Mark V. Mm. Um, the scandal of... Or... Uh, this is see. This is where I ask you. Who did I like? I liked obviously like Charles. Mm. Pineapple. I like mm. pineapple. Uh, I'll go with pineapple. Subjectivity. Who did I like there? Uh, I yeah. Mean, generally, subjectivity isn't your favourite. Uh. No. I quite liked Elizabeth the first, didn't I? Yeah. I'll go with that. Mm. And what's the other one? <laughs> Longevity. Longevity. I think those ones are a bit less important because you know. Well, Elizabeth second. I'll have a big one. Well, yeah. Uh, and. What? Dynasty. Dynasty. <laughs> uh, I can't remember. I think Edward the Elder had the most. Yeah. There we go. Maria Panicelli. Or Panicelli. I just wanted to say that I love your podcast. I, rem I recommend it to everyone, repeatedly. Seriously, my friends are sick of me telling <laughs> about it all the time. <laughs> good. Please tell your friends about this show. <laughs> Very nice. But it's just so good. It's informative but funny, great for history nerds like me, but also accessible for the average person too. Hopefully one day you will do another live show tour and I can come to the UK to hang out. Yay, we loved that, the hanging out at the end, that was fun, wasn't it? And Gerard Murphy, no question, just wanted to say how awesome it was to be travelling around the UK on our recent honeymoon listening to the podcast, my now wife handed me for months to give Rex Factor a go, and being able to visit so many places we were hearing about being so important in English and Scottish history. Congratulations. Indeed. What a lovely thing to do, driving around. To, I think I'd like to do that. No, what I'm talking about, I'd like to go sailing around Scotland. Mm. Mm. Do, do those funny aisles that would backwards and forwards between yeah. these lords. Western Isles. Yeah. A few messages about Elfled. Remind me. Edward the Elder's first consort. What? The one that he has lots of children with and then sends off to a nunnery Bees? to marry somebody else. 
That was no. Little Fled Lady of Mercy. Okay, right. Elfled was the first one who almost became a powerful green mother, but Athelstan happened to her, so her yeah. son's become okay. king. Okay, yeah. Ali Marie says, hooray, more members of the elf dynasty. Yeah, what is that? Laura Stewart, can we discuss why everyone has a name having something to do with elves? Yeah, can we? Is there a lot of elf lore there at the time? Yeah, is there? Um, I I did try to find it. I did see one person that sort of asked about it on Reddit, and there were sort of some links to name etymology stuff that had been posted that are a little bit too detailed. But it seems to not essentially be a particularly significant thing. It's not a lot of meaning about the elves. It's just... Something nice to call it kids after. In the same way that if you call your daughter Heather, you're not saying that she's some kind of Scottish flower or anything. You know, it's just... Something. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I'm not happy with that. No, I mean, if anyone's got a better explanation for that... I'll stick with that for now. Yeah. Dwayne Donovan. As much as I'm enjoying the Saxons, their names do look like Ali fell asleep on the keyboard. Quite right. And Samuel Adams, on something that we mentioned uh, in the episode, wouldn't the Bayo tapestry be, by definition, not Saxon? So it wouldn't count as a surviving Saxon embroidery. Mm. The reason that it does count as a Saxon one is because although it's obviously commissioned probably by Odo of Bayo... Oh, they got the British to do it. It was probably Saxon women who actually British. Did it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. stake yeah. that claim. <laughs> yeah, so it's probably Saxon women who actually do. Yeah, uh, the Bayo tapestry. So although it's commissioned by the Normans, it's actually done by the Saxons because they're really good at doing. The last sort of hurrah, and some messages on everybody's favourite Dunstan. Yeah, uh, Karen Fagan on Twitter said I was listening to some of our early episodes. Mm. And says, ah, back when Rex Factor were young and naive, got to the first appearance of Dunstan, and I swear Ali said, that guy sounds amazing. No, I did. didn't. Did I? Why have done? Why did he sound amazing? I probably did the story about how he took on the devil with the tongs. Oh, and- yeah. For our relationship soured, yeah. And then uh, HMS Fonsils on mm-hmm. uh, Twitter replied saying, Ali loved Victoria in the first three episodes and almost shed a tear when she died. I'm still waiting for him to turn on her. <laughs> did I, I, I never liked her did I uh, I think early on you weren't so upset by her but I think once we got to episode 5 you'd had enough <laughs> Krista Ball mm, hello. I've been saving these up obviously Ali should write Dunstan fan fiction <laughs> everyone sitting around in a room and the entire story about everyone saying how awful Dunstan is then cut to a new scene of Dunstan chasing the devil with a scapula she then replied and said, that should be spatula. <laughs> but now I think of it, chasing the devil with a shoulder blade of a saint is also acceptable. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility with some no. of this nonsense that he comes out with. Well, and the Saxons love a bit of a saintly bone. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's what they meant. And finally, Michael Charlton. Hmm. My uncle's middle name is Dunstan. So I have a soft spot for the much maligned saint and think of him as a sort of distant Anglo-Saxon uncle. Why, this is his uncle now, he was named Bernard Dunstan Charlton, I've no idea. But considering my grandfather was called Egbert Gladstone Charlton, he didn't have much of a chance. They're strong names, aren't <laughs> they? Very strong names. In further defence of St Dunstan, my brother taught for a while at St Dunstan's College, but I don't believe he ever met him there, and would, quite frankly, have been very surprised if he had. Well, that's my contribution. Tally-ho, Pip-Pip, and Bernard's my uncle. <laughs> Oh, good. So, thank you for all your messages, all of your Dunstan messages. Of course, keep those coming in at pace. Quick question. Yes? Last time you asked me about a lack of a lat. 
maybe five minutes after we turned yes. the microphones off, I said, I'm sure that's something. And we both had a moment where we looked at each other and eyes went wide, said Jim Carrey, mm. and it's either The Mask or Ace Ventura. Mm. A summer blockbuster from 25 years ago. <laughs> So that one is sold. If anyone can confirm which film it definitely mm. was of Jim Carrey's, that at least narrows it down for us. Because if it's Ventura, I think that's 94, 95. Mm. Not that it matters. Anyway, thank you very much for your messages. Send them in, of course. Next time, we will be back with... Um, well, it's kind, of, it's kind of a double episode in a way. It's mainly Wolfrith of Wilton. And I think that will probably be all I'll put in the title. But there is sort of another consort that we're going to fit into that episode as well. Uh, a refreshing change of tack on the name front as well a what yeah that's going to be the only one you remember for yeah. <laughs> yeah. 50 years anyway that will be next time thanks for listening see you next time cheerio This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.